Surprise! Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special bonus edition of the George Sanders Show. Um, we said that we were going to have one more show before the end of 2015, uh, which was going to be our year in review 1965 show, which is still coming um, shortly. But uh, we figured that this being episode 77, and I said when we did the Star Wars episode a few episodes back that we really should have done it as episode 77, we're going to talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens, the global phenomenon currently in theaters. Um, and it's just going to be a mini episode. We're just going to talk about that, give our impressions. We've both seen it um, this week. And uh, yeah, we'll just dive into it, especially hot on the heels of that discussion of the original Star Wars. Uh, with me, as always, is Sean Gilman. Sean, uh, this is the uh, furthest away I've been from you when recording the show. Yeah, and I feel it. Do you? Yeah. I I am I'm in the it's very okay. Long story short, I'm in the eerily empty bedroom of like an 80-year-old woman who is in a nursing home and her house is just kind of sitting here in its retirement community um and is being used by members of the extended family uh when they come to visit. And it's very creepy. There's like all these weird porcelain dolls and stuff. Um, and I'm the only one here besides my dog. And uh, it's it's definitely unnerving. They're like Polaroids from like, of like the backs of the heads of these dolls like sitting on shelves and stuff. Uh, so if That's I die in the middle creepy. of this, yeah, if I die in the middle of this podcast, um, avenge me. Find find the ethereal demon that slayed me and, and avenge my death. I'm not going to do that. Okay, I know you're not. No. It's too far. I'm too far away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Star Wars, it's out. We've seen it. Yep. And uh, I think there's a lot to talk about with this movie, actually. Um, um, which is, I, I think so. <laughs> I mean, aside and from the fact that that we could, of course, talk about Star Wars, all things Star Wars, endlessly, as I think we amply de demonstrated on the uh, show a couple of weeks ago. Right, we absolutely can, um, and and it's appropriate that we talked about the original film uh, because this one uh, is basically a retread of that one in <laughs> so many ways, for better or for worse. We can we can dive into that. Um, in this discussion here, but um, yeah, it, it's and funny. We, it's what? Well, I, I just uh, before we get going, I just uh, we shouldn't need to say this, but you shouldn't listen to this if you haven't seen the movie. Right, absolutely. Spoilers abound uh, yeah. for the next however long we 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 talk. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and that's uh, like a that's like a general George Sanders show rule, but but this is one of the few movies we're talking about where people actually care about that kind of thing. So. Right. This yeah. is, I think, the first time we've talked about a movie like the week of its release. Well, that's not it, true. It's just, it's just usually it doesn't really matter. Well, it's the true. kind of I movies we talk about. You don't really spoil, or, or you know, you you can spoil them, but people don't really care that much because, right. you know, right. Yeah, I hear you. No, it, nobody's you, nobody's you know concerned like, about spoilers for like Johnny Toe's Office. You, but you know, what's funny is, um, you know, everybody on Letterboxd you know, saw this thing like, you know, either at a press screening or Thursday night during the, you know, the opening hoopla of it, or as you did on, do you see it Friday? I saw Thursday night. You saw, saw Thursday I night. I saw the first show. Uh, um, you know, and I didn't get around to it. I had, I had made plans to see it with my brother, um, my brothers, should I say. Um, 
it was nice to get both of them out there for that. Um, but uh, I saw it Sunday, which is less than three days after the thing opened. I saw like a 3.30 show of this thing. Mm-hmm. And I already felt like the train had passed. Like I felt like I was I was behind with the Star Wars mm-hmm. stuff, even though it was like 64 hours since the movie had been released. Um, and so, yeah, so it's very weird. And it's odd recording this episode a few days after that um, and being concerned about spoilers because it seems like everybody in the world has seen this movie at this point. But Not, not only that, but nobody cares about it anymore. Right. Nobody exactly. We've, we've moved on to complaining about Quentin Tarantino. So that's exactly that's exactly. What and by the time we see that movie this weekend, we'll be moved on to something else. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yes. Everybody will start spoiling. Uh, you know, Chimes at Midnight and all, and all the movies we'll be talking about on the 1965 show. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, Star Wars: Force Awakens. Uh, it's do, should we? By- do you want to listen to a clip? Oh, we're going to do a clip? You want to do clips? Sure. Sure. We can do a clip. Or a trailer. Or sure. Or just do a trailer. Chewie, we're home. That? <laughs> that's that, my Harrison Ford. That's good. That, that, that's very good. I thought Harrison Ford was actually here on the Skype <laughs> call with us for a moment. That's right. Yeah. He may be the ghost that's haunting this uh, old woman's house that I'm living in. <laughs> Okay, so it's finally here, episode seven, uh, which I guess is not actually part of the official title um, for the first time since the original Star Wars. It's uh, This one's just called Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, it's set 30 years after the events of Return of the Jedi. Um, the, the good guys won at the end of Return of the Jedi. Spoilers. You know, we said spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> um, However, there is there is still a, a faction of the Empire called the First Order that is, uh, you know, got some semblance of power throughout the galaxy. Um, it's and, kind of like a, a civil war situation, right? They, I mean, they've got they've got a lot of firepower. Uh, we'll get to that too. Um, they got a lot of troops. They, you know, they're not just like a splinter group or anything. The First Order's got a lot of. A lot of people on their side. Um, but then there's the Rebellion, which is now becoming the Republic, um, who are also you know, making headway as well. Uh, and the film begins like another Star Wars film on a uh, desert planet, this one called Jakku, 
um, and follows a a young woman this time named Ray, played by Daisy Ridley, um, and it, it kind of starts with her uh, kind of going salvaging through the garbage of an Imperial Star Destroyer that was downed in the uh, in the deserts of Jakku, and uh, lo and behold, she meets a uh, droid called BB-8, who coincidentally has uh, plans that uh, the Republic is trying to get back to the head honchos um, that unlike in a new, a new hope or star Wars, uh, which contained plans for the death star. This contains the whereabouts of Luke Skywalker, uh, Jedi Knight who has gone into, gone into hiding. So anyway, uh, the movie, you know, we don't need to go through every beat of this movie in terms of story, because as I said at the intro, uh, this movie consciously, uh, captures most of the the main beats of the original Star Wars film that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, my first question to you, Sean, I guess, um, get this ball rolling here, is, is that a flaw in this film, or is, is, or is that decision to harken back to the original film, is that, is that a, um, a positive thing, um, ultimately? And at this point, I can't really say for sure. It kind of depends on uh, on how it plays out in the other two films. Like I think uh, a lot of my answers for for some of the things that are being complained about in this film will say, well, it depends on what happens in the next two films. So this uh, is going to be a very exciting podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I do think it's not it's not unusual that the film that a Star Wars film would have repetitions and echoes and rhymes built into it. That, that is, that is an, an inherent part of the structure of, of all of the films. Uh, well, yeah, Return of the Jedi. As, as, you know, as, especially with the, the prequel trilogy. Like, that's, that's just kind of a, a thing about this universe, is that, is that things repeat themselves. However... The, the echoes and rhyming that Lucas intentionally put into the prequels mm -hmm. feels a little different than what J.J. Abrams is doing here, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, kind of remixing elements from the first film. Like, I, I, I understand the complaint that there should have been more new stuff in it. Um, I, I do think it's a little overstated. Like there are like structural and setting similarities. Like there's a desert planet and then there's a, uh, a wise old person who is very short. And then there's a, uh, a kind of a death star knockoff. But I mean, beyond that, most of it is just kind of little tiny nods here or there. Well, there are two tracks. Yeah. There's, there's two tracks of, of kind of, of, of kind of, um, uh, callbacks there there's the bigger story beats which like i said at the beginning it's you know a, a, a kind of unknown kind of you know no name person on a remote planet meets up with a droid with plans and you know and all that stuff and then the the finale the ending of this movie is yeah is a redux of of you know destroying the death star except now it's called a star killer which is also a nod to george lucas's original um, the original right, name for the main character of yeah star wars um there's that kind of stuff, the big stuff, the story stuff, and then there's the fan servicey kind of um, 
little winks and nods that we get here where, you know, um, we, we see like the chess set on the Millennium Falcon come to life and it, you know, plays out differently than it, you know, played out in the first film, but it's still a fan, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then, and then I guess there's the third thing, which is bringing back, you know, characters and elements from the, you know, bringing back the Millennium Falcon, for example, or bringing back Han Solo and Princess Leia and, uh, or General Leia, excuse me now. Um, so I guess there are three kind of tracks of those things. And I kind of, I, if I take those individually, I can pinpoint, you know, what I do like and what I don't like. Like, um, the fan servicey stuff gets pretty tiresome here, at least for me. Um, like they could have cut that stuff down. Like every once in a while it's fine, but it seems like it does, it takes you out of the narrative of the film oftentimes when like the character Finn, um, played by John Boyega, you know, he's reaching through a, a bag of junk on the Millennium Falcon, pulls out Luke Skywalker's, uh, you know, Jedi training droid that he uses when he's practicing, you know, laser blast. And that, I know everybody like goes, ah, but it's, it's, that kind of stuff that irks me. Yeah. You know? Um, but meanwhile, on the flip side of that, it's great to see the Millennium Falcon. I mean, you know, the, the millennium, the, revi- the reveal of the Millennium Falcon here is the biggest, I guess, example of something like that, where it's, it's off screen and it's referred to a piece of garbage mm-hmm. and then it cuts to it. And then, Hey, I'm human. You know what I mean? That sure. happens. And I'm like, Oh shit, the Millennium Falcon is on, it's on now, son. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a hodgepodge, you know. And 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 making this film, it, you're walking. I mean, I I have to give kudos to J.J. Abrams because you are walking such a line with this, where you you do have to. And it, this goes to kind of what you were saying, I think, about the future films is you, he he has to do so many things with this movie. He has to convince the fans that the franchise is in good hands and that means somebody that um, admires and respects the original trilogy um, and allays kind of the fears that so, you know some people have about the prequels um, but also moving it passing a torch to a new generation all that kind of stuff I, I think it would have been impossible for him to make a perfect movie out of this. Well, yeah, you know, and he's got and he's of course. And then on top of that, he's got Disney, you know, I'm sure looking over every single move that is made with the the, the movie. Um, so it's very difficult. And I, I do have to commend him. I do think he does a, a solid job with this movie. I don't yeah. think he does a great job. I think he does a solid job. I think I think as as a producer, he does a great job of of kind of reigniting the series and. And giving it like a new world that it can play in, like there, this uh, it's uh, it's a universe that's kind of been reinvigorated and reopened up to directors with more personality to do interesting things with, if given the chance in the future, and not just in in like the next film with uh, with Ryan Johnson, but also in like the spinoff films. There's there's a number of them in the works that could potentially be be really cool. And I think he's he's done kind of the same thing here that he did with with Star Trek, which is kind of reinvigorate an older property in a way that uh, is both is both new, but also is very very respectful of like the original. Well, and I think that this movie, 
uh, I think a lot of people's problems with Star Trek Into Darkness, and I and, and this is a problem with me too, but I'm not a big Star Trek fan like I am a Star Wars fan, so it didn't irk me as much when I watched the movie, but I, I even said in my original review of, of that one, uh, I bet if I was a Star Wars or Star Trek fan, I would be very <laughs> upset by the whole way that he he just lifts the entire plot of uh, of uh, Wrath of Khan and kind of just wedges that into the uh, the finale of of the Into Darkness, which is so you just want at that when it's something like that, you want just a new movie. Like, why do we have to bring back a character? You know, all those kinds of things. Sure. And he doesn't. It's not that egregious in this, thankfully. Um, yeah, I think I think that far. I think it does a really good job. I think you know, I think everyone agrees that all of the new characters are really interesting, and uh, you know, the complaints I've seen have been more about those those callbacks and not enough of the cool stuff with the new characters. But on the other hand, like one of the best scenes in the film is with was with uh, one of the old characters. Well, yeah. Well, it, my. It, the contradiction within me and the thing I'm kind of wrestling with is I'm, I say that I'm of the mind of just give us new stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I do think those new characters, I think Ray, the character played by Daisy Ridley is one of the greatest characters in star Wars hands down. Uh, I mean, she is so freaking awesome and she makes the movie uh, worthwhile. Like she's just such a great, it, her performance is great. The character is interesting. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on with her. Um, but so, so I'm clamoring for new stuff. But then there's the stuff that is new. Like there's the scene with uh, on board the Millennium Falcon where Han Solo meets up with them, with Ray and Finn. And then there's this this kind of wedged in action thing with these kind of three space monsters on there. Yeah. Um, that is new that, stuff. That's new stuff, and I yeah. didn't like it at all. Yeah, I, I did not either. Uh, not just because uh, it, it totally underuses uh, this guy who is amazing. I don't think you've seen um, any of the movies he's in, but uh, his name is uh, Yayan Ruhian. Uh, oh, and, here we uh, go. <laughs> and, uh, him and, uh, and Iko Uwais, who are these uh, Indonesian martial arts stuntmen guys. That they, uh, Iko Uwais is... is uh, one of like the the main characters in uh, the raid movies, mm. and he is like ridiculously cool as a martial artist, and mm-hmm. he's just like one of the henchmen here and gets almost nothing to do. And, yeah, and it it's was... like it's 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 like this waste of this great actor, and, and but he 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 doesn't die at the end. I don't think I don't think we see him get eaten by a monster. So hopefully he'll come back because that character is really cool. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about that scene for me is, is, and this is the thing I'm wrestling with, is I'm like, I want new stuff, but that new stuff in that scene doesn't feel like Star Wars to me. You know, it feels just like generic CGI monster corridor running. Well, I wonder if it's, if it's just like a kind of uh, a world building thing and we're going to get like a spinoff bounty hunter type movie and then these characters are going to be in that. In the same way that you have uh, uh, Gwendolyn Christie playing uh, John Boyega's uh, stormtrooper commander, and Captain she, Phasma, yeah. yeah, and she has like two scenes in the film and doesn't really get a whole lot to do. Uh, but, I, she will be back. That's, yeah, I mean she she's got to be back. If not in like the next film, then in some other 
Star Wars property. So, well, but here's but here's my problem with this, and and this okay. is, I, and I know what you're saying about how okay, this movie kind of is setting the table for these further adventures and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I went to see this, this is my fear, and and I, I think this fear is very real. Is that when I went to see this, there were a handful of trailers beforehand, and it was, uh, let me try and remember them. It was X Men Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It was Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. It was Captain America, Civil War. Yep. And I was watching all of these, and 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 then I went into Star Wars, and I said, "Oh my!" And I'm, you know, I'm burned out on these superhero movies. And not only are these all three of those like superhero movies, but the plots in all of these ones are. I mean, I don't know about the X Men one because I don't know what the hell's going on in those things. But but both the Batman Superman thing and the Captain America is like, oh, now like the good guys hate each other and now they're fighting each other. And so it's like these cookie cutter things. And I'm just thinking to myself, three four years from now, this is how I'm going to feel about Star Wars. I think. Yeah, and that's that's my biggest fear going in. That was my biggest fear going into this movie that it was just going to be another Marvel movie that was going to look the same as going to it was just going to feel the same as another one of those you know totally generic blockbusters. And, and it does uh, at certain points. And it and it does at certain points, uh, but it, at certain points it doesn't. And I don't know if if that's just like the in my inner Star Wars geek, you know apologizing for it or if it's just that i like this world so much or if there's actually you know something else here but that's my biggest fear with the with the series going forward is that the next one is going to be like star wars age of ultron and then and then there'll be like uh uh, you know uh boba fett ant-man kind of thing right exactly that's i'm i'm absolutely terrified because if you look at the release schedule um rogue one comes out next i think this time next year so we get we're getting right. another star wars movie next freaking christmas and followed then, by six months later you're getting ryan johnson's episode eight yeah. and then it's just going to be one a year and you're just going to be fatigued by this stuff and um it's i don't know the the great thing about the original trilogy and then waiting for the prequels was that they were teased out you know you got three years between them and then there was this huge gap, and that's what the the fandom was clamoring for. And now, I mean, you know, Hunger Games Volume Four, whatever the hell just came out, everybody's burned out on all of these, just pushing these movies out. But and and the marvelness of this movie, there's there's two moments of marvelness in this movie that I think are the most egregious moments in this movie. And I want to talk about. We'll get to the good stuff here because there sure. is a good stuff in this movie. But the marvelness here is one. The the Star Killer uh, photon thing that's sh- beaming out into the atmosphere, yeah. um, and it's shooting this gigantic laser. It's the exact same imagery we're seeing in, like you said, all. I think it's in Ultron. It's in the first one. I know it's in the first Avengers movie, the Joss Whedon one, where there's this either it's a beam coming from the heavens onto a planet, or it's going off a planet into the heavens, um, and it's just this gigantic ionic you know, stream that is just so boring now. It's yeah. always been boring. It was boring when I first saw it the first time. Like, they're trying to give it a sense of scale, but it does, like, the fact that the, that this star killer thing uh, has to destroy five planets, because in the original Star Wars, we saw the Death Star destroy Alderaan, and that was just one planet, so we have to up the ante, and it's like, right. upping the ante doesn't raise the stakes. It just makes it, it, it just makes it 
so remote for me. So there's that. And then the worst part is the Supreme Emperor character um, played Snoke. by, I think, play, yeah, Snoke, played by Andy Serkis, I think. Uh-huh. Is that right? Yes. Who is just this motion-captured, I mean, he looks like Gollum, or he looks like a character out of Lord of the Rings, and it feels so not Star Wars. That whole, he shows up like two or three scenes in this movie, and it's and it and it feels like it's it's uh, pasted in from Harry Potter or something. Um, yeah, he's got a, a Voldemort look to him for sure. Yeah, you know, and um, it's just it 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 does not feel right, you know. And and this is where you know the argue, the fandom arguments of what's right and what's wrong come into play. But um, those two things to me really did not capture the feel of Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And, and I mean, we'll see where they go with Snoke. I do think that that is just a really dumb name. It's a, it's a bad name. And yeah. when, uh, it's not, characters... it's not a name that inspires fear. No, <laughs> no. And when it's said, anytime it's said in the movie, it, it, it falls like it, you know, it hits the floor like a, with a thud. Yeah. Um, it absolutely does. But it's Supreme leader Snooky is not, <laughs> uh, well, I do uh, one one thing we haven't talked about with with these callbacks is that there's there's this whole kind of meta layer to it where a lot of the the villains, a lot of the characters, are like consciously reacting to the events of the first film. Like the 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 Kylo Ren character is has this kind of uh, uh, generational anxiety where he wants to be Darth Vader and is like failing and a lot of like the first order stuff seems like a a conscious attempt to be like the empire and right. everyone is like trying to match their heroes and and kind of failing at least on the the first order side uh and on the uh, on the other side, it's uh, it's kind of a, a different motivation. It, the the two main heroes, uh, uh, Finn and Ray, are both like actively avoiding the conflicts of the first film. Like Finn just wants to run away and doesn't want to fight, which is which is very interesting and what, great. Yeah, it's a totally unique motivation. Like everything about that character is unique in the Star Wars universe. Like a character who doesn't want to fight anymore. Yes. Uh, is is really fascinating uh and also uh ray is the same thing like like she has like the inverse motivation of luke skywalker in star wars she does not want to leave her desert planet she she wants to stay right because she's uh, waiting for somebody right <laughs> i uh, wonder who that is but yes uh yes yeah and, and, and those motivations are great yeah so and, and yeah I, I mean there's there's like layers to to its callbacks like like it's it's it folds together references to the other films in a in a very conscious way that is is fitting with the characters like like uh Adam Driver as like this this kind of sulky you know millennial whiny guy as the villain is like is really interesting as a villain i, I think i think that actually works i you know yeah. um it, it I think it works well um, in this movie, and and it and it also it also serves, I think, a really good dramatic uh, or like plot point purpose because 
I know some people are upset with the way Daisy Ridley's character uh, manages to kind of stumble upon her force powers by accident. Right. And, and, and I don't find that as egregious as I, as I think some people do, because um, what's great is that Kylo Ren's character is flawed himself. So like, and you see him several times prior to their ultimate showdown um, where he can't keep his powers in check at all. And so when they have their first confrontation and, and she starts being able to use the force to, to overpower him, at least mentally, um, I think I think that all works narratively to, to, to a really good end in the showdown where she, they're both untrained Jedi, basically, or un, at least untrained uh, users of the force who are kind of flailing um, with what they've got. And I think that's really interesting. And, and it goes, you know, if you think back to uh, the first Star Wars film, Luke Skywalker had like barely any Jedi training before he shoots the fucking blast into the Death Star using the Force, you yep. know. Um, so I don't know what people's problem is with that. <laughs> no, it's not. And and if you if you watch any of like the uh, the kind of non-canonical, well, I guess they are canonical, but like the TV series, like the Clone War series or or Star Wars Rebels, like that's it's not uncommon that somebody will like spontaneously have like crazy force powers because that right. that's they got that's just kind of how they manifest yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean <laughs> it, well i mean the uh, little boy anakin doing the the pod race is a totally like insane force power stuff right. there and he's exactly. just like a little boy right. so yeah i mean and no I, I i don't have a problem with that at all yeah um let me ask you this i'm gonna ask you two questions here okay um well, actually, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Uh, what do you think about the overall action in this movie? Um, and is there an action sequence that you think is um, is the strongest? What was your favorite action moment in this movie? Because, you know, Star Wars, the great thing about Star Wars is, and I think we talked about this on the on the previous show, but it's such a blending of styles. Because you, you get, you get close-up sword-fighting type, fencing type, swashbuckling things with uh, lightsabers. But then you also get these dog fights in space, you know, with the, the aircraft and stuff like that. Um, and then on top of that, you've got, you know, Han Solo and characters using guns to do Western style shootouts and stuff. Um, and so is there, is there one kind of thing that you tend to gravitate towards? And in particular in this movie was there, was one of those sequences in particular, something that you, uh, responded to, uh, the the two kind of standout sequences I, I liked the action for for the most part um like the the cgi monster one i did not really care for yeah that was oh, it was bad but uh but other than that i think i think i liked pretty much all of them the the two that really stand out are that that first one where where ray and and finn get the millennium falcon that's the best and uh, and then I like the the final kind of lightsaber duels with Ray and Finn against against uh, Kylo Ren. I think uh, I like the the choreography there because it's it's not like the two of them pick up the lightsaber and are suddenly like great fencers. Like they flail around like they don't really know what they're doing. Well, exactly. That's what I was just saying. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it, there's there's a naive kind of. Um, there's naive movement to it, um, yeah. and that's which is, 
which is great. That's one of the things that the Star Wars series is really good at, not just in this film, but in in all of the films. Like every uh, lightsaber duel has a distinct style. Every every fighter, whether a Jedi or a, a Sith, has a, a personality in the way that they fight. Like like my favorite is uh, is uh, the Emperor in Revenge of the Sith. Like just the the kind of lunatic way that he you know lunges about in his lightsaber duel with. Uh, with uh, Samuel L. Jackson is just, right. it's hilarious and it's totally perfect for that character. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, and that continues here. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that, that se- sequence, you know, it's a little, you know, it, it, it culminates with the, you know, the destruction of this, the star killer, which then causes this rift on the land. And yeah. you know, that got, that got annoying, but, uh, but for me, yeah, that millennium Falcon, uh, sequence on, uh, Jakku as they're going, they're flying through the Imperial star, the downed Imperial star destroyer. Yeah. Um, I was just, this is great. And also this isn't really much of an action sequence, but when, um, you know, the third kind of, the third wheel of the new characters here is Oscar Isaac's Poe Dameron, I think his name is. is that yeah, Poe po Dameron. Who, yeah, he's, a, he's an X-Wing pilot who gets captured by uh, the First Order or whatever. And he makes an escape with, uh, with Finn. And, they, and I did really like them stealing the TIE fighter. Yeah, um, and they getting tied down. Yeah. And then getting tied down. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty great. Um, that sequence is pretty cool. And yeah, actually, that, that's a, a character who is really who goes missing for like the bulk of the film. And I think that's the biggest flaw. Well, I don't know about the biggest flaw. I've talked about a lot of flaws with this movie. I hate the way that's resolved. I hate it. It's just like he shows up. He's like, he shows up and Finn's like, what happened, man? He's like, I got thrown from the wreckage. What happened Mm -hmm. to you? And then it's like, everything's all good. And I'm like, that is not satisfactory. We saw his, we saw the thing consumed by like a sand, you know, trap. And that was really, it was no good. Um, and I like that character and I think, you know, it would have been nice to spend a little more time. I'm sure we will in subsequent films, obviously, but, um, I like Oscar Isaac, obviously he's got a great head of hair in this thing. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he's, he's just there in the beginning to talk to, you know, Max von Sydow and then go disappear for (laughs) two hours and then show up to do the final battle in the film. But, uh, um, but I do like the the opening sequences with him where he's escaping. And going back to that TIE fighter being attached, the thing about this movie that was a big surprise is how funny it is. It's a really funny Star Wars movie. Like, I actually, a lot of the jokes landed really well for me. Yeah, uh, that's kind of a concern with, like, the marvelization of it is that it would be, like, too jokey and too flippant. But I think it, it gets that balance that the original trilogy had. Like, the prequels aren't funny at all. But, no, there's no, there's no humor. There's uh, at least well, no, no actual I mean, funny there, humor. There, yeah, yeah. There, there's <laughs> a lot of attempts at humor. Uh, God, I'm thinking of that. Is that in Attack of the Clones, the, the fight where C-3PO's head is, like, on the being dragged through the battlefield is that oh yeah that's that's actually funny no it's bad oh it's bad uh but but the original trilogy is funny like there's there's a lot of humor in in each of the first three of those films and and i think uh this kind of gets that like it's funny but it's not like jokey yeah yeah um well then let me ask you this now we can talk about the nostalgia factor of this movie now um 
What was was there a moment for you that was maybe the most I, emotional? Might not be the right word for it, but the the moment where I don't know, maybe you gasped or you, um, maybe it was a nostalgia thing where where you were happy to see something show up or, or you know, you got a little choked up. Anything like that happened to you with this movie? A little choked up. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. I don't know why it happened. I don't, and I wasn't prepared for it. I don't know exactly what happened with my body at this moment. I didn't cry. I didn't even come close to crying. But for some reason, when Carrie Fisher showed up, I got the warm fuzzies. I was like, like we'd been running with Chewbacca and uh, Han Solo for like you know twenty five minutes at this point. I know she's going to be in the movie. We've seen the Millennium Falcon. We've had all of these. You know, we're already back into the the Star Wars we know and love, so to speak. But for some reason, Carrie Fisher coming off of that stupid ship to say hi to Han Solo, I was like, this is dope. I don't know what it was. I got I had a big smile on my face. I was really happy to see her. And I, I love that she's just got this smoker's voice. And she's just like... Well, Carrie, Carrie Fisher is, is a national treasure. She is a national treasure. There were many moments that, that put a smile on my face. I, I don't know about, like, uh, I wasn't going to cry at this movie. No, I wasn't going to cry either. But yeah. for some reason, for, for some reason when, when she shows up and the camera first cuts to her, um, I got a little lump in my throat for a second. I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I don't know why. <laughs> I think uh, I think Harrison Ford's performance is is really strong, and uh, him being on screen as that character, as he's like trying to to relive his his youth before he had responsibilities, made me really sad right from the beginning. And I think that's kind of what he was going for is that he's so kind of old and, and pathetic and he's, he's like a man who has lost it. And it was, it was really sad and really affecting. And then, you know, he, uh, he makes like, uh, you know, his, his stab at trying to, uh, make things better and make up for his mistakes. And, uh, you know, it's I, as soon as I saw him on screen, I knew that this would be the last movie that Harrison Ford was in. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was not a surprise, but it was still affecting. He's he's the best he's been in a long time in this movie, and um, and I mean I haven't seen too much Harrison Ford in the last fifteen to twenty years or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah know, I think partly, we talked about this on on yeah. the show. Yeah, he partly was like by a person design. of the I mean, week he or hasn't something. Done a, yeah. And I, yeah, I did talk about how in '42 he's trying to give a a, a performance as Branch Rickey, but it's it's all false notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, yeah, you're right. He he manages to really do a good job of of, of maintaining um, a connection to the freewheeling Han Solo of of the original trilogy. You know, he's got the he's got that kind of glimmer in his eye again, but also, like you said, he is. Um, He's a broken man, and he's, you know, it, he's not trying. He doesn't. He acts his age, I guess, is a, is a way of. If well, he he acts like a man his age, trying to act like he's not his age. Right. And failing. Um, yeah, intent, but yeah. from a process perspective, intentional. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like it, it's all, it's all, it's all meant to be. Okay, yes. I guess. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, unlike, unlike, I think Indiana Jones. <laughs> right. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I and like you said, his his demise um, is telegraphed so far in advance. Like I I I was not shocked at all when it happened. Um, my brother Rich, though, he <laughs> we're sitting next to each other. This is one of the best things about is you know it's the communal atmosphere with Star Wars you know that that you remember like we, so we were at the fancy Sundance Theater in San Francisco where they give you like an actual like glass of you know beer or soda or whatever you get you know yeah. it's not like a it's not a plastic cup I, I've anything. been there it's a nice theater the Kabuki yeah mm-hmm. uh, and so he's he he has his glass in the armrest. <laughs> And when Harrison Ford gets stabbed, he like slammed his hand down, and like I mean, he was in danger of like cutting, slicing an artery or something, like, <laughs> which I thought was just great. It was really cool. Um, uh, shout out to Rich, by the way. He listens to this show, which I think is, is oh. really cool. Um, so, uh, but anyway, I, I saw I saw Han Solo's demise coming. Um, but at the same time, it, I think it, I think it works, you know, and yeah. and, you know, Harrison Ford famously wanted to, you know, he wanted Han Solo to die at the end of Return of the Jedi, right. um, which, you know, I just rewatched all three of those. Um, and and I and I, I agree with George Lucas. I don't think Han Solo should have died uh, at the end of that movie, obviously, because that movie is about hope and redemption and all those kinds of things. And I think that that would have unless it happened early on. You know, if if Han Solo died in the first hour of uh, Return of the Jedi, that might have been actually kind of cool. But anyway, well, um, let, let's I, let's be clear here. Harrison Ford wanted the character to die so that there was no chance he would have to do and it again. Oh, I because he hated these movies. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I know. Um, it wasn't for I any did. like you know. You know the quality of story, story reasons. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I, I hear you. Um, but no, I think his, I think his death here um, is, um, is good. It's a good thing, I think, for for the franchise and for um, for the story of this particular film too. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, there was one thing. Uh, we kind of you know, we kind of skipped over that I want to talk about um, when we were talking about J.J. Abrams, and uh, it's kind of uh, whether or not you think he injects any kind of J.J. Abrams personality into this film. Like, do you think he's just managing a property that's bigger than him, or is there an, any kind of you know auteur signature to be found in this film? Like, he, there it- there aren't any. Uh, lens flares, which are his most obvious uh, visual quirk. But uh, do you see anything else? Yeah, I, I the more J.J. Abrams movies I see, the more um, free, devoid of personality they seem to be. Um, and you know, in all of his movies, you can kind of you can kind of point to who he's aping in the movies, you know, like super eight is obviously a Spielberg movie, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, a, a, a weekly directed. I mean, I, I like that movie, but it's, it's, it's obviously not directed by Spielberg. Um, uh, but that being said, and, and, and this does feel very uh, faceless to me in, in a lot of respects. However, I do think there is some personality behind the scenes um, and I and I think of some of those um, actual like the camera movements that we get in this, like for example during that 
Millennium Falcon um, escape on Jakku where it does that um, kind of aerial 360 as it's following it and then kind of cuts to like a quick zoom as it's flying into the exhaust engine of the Imperial Star Destroyer. Those mm-hmm. kind of those kind of flashy camera things um, that look really good in a trailer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think those are a J.J. Abrams-ism, if you wanted to coin coin that. Um, I don't, I don't think he's consistent enough to truly be. I don't know. I don't. I don't think there's enough meat and potatoes there to to really give kind of an overview of the of what the J.J. Abrams, you know, aesthetic would be basically. But there are hints hints of it, I guess. Um, and I'm interested to see. Uh, I, I want to hear your answer, but I but I I have a little bit of hope for the at least the next film because I think Ryan Johnson, although I'm not a huge fan, um, I think he's a little bit more idiosyncratic, and I and he I definitely think he is much more obviously an auteur, mm-hmm. um, burgeoning art auteur at least, um, and so I'm interested to see, and I think that'll be the real litmus test for whether Disney and the Star Wars behemoth will just completely neuter anybody that's going to take it on. Right. Um, so, but what do you think? Do you think J.J. Abrams is is has hints at least of uh, a personality? Uh, not so much visually, like like with you. It this it feels like a like a corporate style of film to me like like it's very much interchangeable with a marvel movie i think it i think it's it's better looking than the marvel films uh it's it's better edited but it still doesn't have the kind of classical compositions and and editing of of lucas's films i think i think those are much better um there's not a there's not a single wipe in this movie that's memorable yeah yeah uh and that I mean that goes to the production design too. Like like the say what you will about the the plots and the acting in the prequels, uh, every single one of them is just gorgeously designed as the original trilogy was, and that is not so much the case here. Like the the best looking things were things that were in the original series. Absolutely, absolutely, I, I, oh, yeah. Um, and coming out of this, I actually. I I kind of had that conversation with myself about about this where I was like, you know, say what you will, George Lucas till the end was an auteur. I mean, mm-hmm. he, I mean he's not he's not dead, but right. but like, but his fingerprints are all over the prequels, um, and you can make an argument that you know that's what makes the pre the prequels are are really interesting. The prequels are a lot more interesting than this movie in a number of ways. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, um, that's, uh, that kind of gets to my, my pithy letterbox comment, which is that the, the, the prequels and, and the Star Wars films are, are space opera. They, are, they, are, they go big. They are extremely ambitious emotionally and, and thematically. Uh, whether or not they actually succeed in you know, conveying those ambitions and, and themes in an in a, uh, effective way is a, a matter of debate, but at least they're trying. Uh, this film is is not trying to do that. It, this is a, this is a pop film. This is like a remix of stuff that has gone before, and it's it's you know it's easy to watch. It's fun, but it doesn't have the kind of like really you know you know kind of depth of emotion and personality that you get in something like Revenge of the Sith. 
Right. Uh, that, that movie that movie goes goes for broke. Yeah, and and even like the the bad things that Lucas would put in in the prequels or even in the original films, they were still, you know, they were big. They were really bad. They weren't just like <laughs> kind of annoying. Like they were bad, and right. that and that kind of bigness is is endearing. In well, in I a th- film. yeah, I think a director like George Lucas is gonna is gonna um, engender like a strong response. Yeah. In any movie that he does, you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and J.J. Abrams will never do that. No. There will never be a J.J. Abrams movie. And this is what goes back to what I was saying about Star Trek Into Darkness, where you know you could you can get angry, I guess, at, at rejiggering, uh, you know, Wrath of Khan and stuff. But at the same, when it all when it's all over and done with, I was just like, okay, that was pretty fun. But like, the, you know, you never like you never either love or hate a J.J. Abrams movie, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 not really possible. Where George Lucas, you can do you can do both of those things within the same movie sometimes, yeah. you know. Um, and I saw, you know, I watched uh, a couple days before I saw Star Wars. I went and saw um, THX one one three eight in a mm-hmm. theater, you know, a small art house theater, and that that is a movie by an auteur. I mean, that movie is freaking weird, and it, it's you know, it is it's got the fingerprints of him on every decision in that movie. Whereas like, like we've been saying this whole time, so much of this new star Wars movie is being micromanaged um, on, on so many different levels by Disney corporate and all of these expectations of fans and all of these things. And once again, kudos to Abrams for being able to like, at least put out something that's coherent. Um, It's pretty damn fun. For, for most of its running time um, and, and didn't leave a bitter taste in your mouth. You know, it's, it's a fun movie and I'm, you know, I will see it again. Um, but it's, it's, it doesn't feel personal in any way. Well, I think uh, in, in terms of the story, I think there is something that JJ Abrams, there's like a, a, a plot motivation that JJ Abrams keeps returning to in all of his works. And, and I think it is kind of the underlying theme, if you will, of, of, uh, of the force awakens. And it's that his, his characters are always running because they're afraid of something from their past. And that's a very generic story motivation, (laughs) but uh, you know, it's not the motivation of any of the characters in the first Star Wars film, but it is the motivation of Felicity, and it's the motivation of Jennifer Garner and Alias, and it's the motivation of all of the characters in Lost, and it's the motivation of uh, of Rey, of Kylo Ren, and of Finn in in The Force Awakens. Like, all of these these characters are kind of haunted by something in the past, either something that was done to them or something they did, and they are doing what they can to escape from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I mean, I know what you're saying. Um, and and to that end, you know, all of the, the references to the previous film, all of the callbacks are, you know, kind of expressions of this thing that they are afraid of. Like, this, this is... Uh, you know, in in the original trilogy, it's it's fear of losing uh, people that are close to you that tempts people to the dark side, and the 
it is a totally different kind of fear in this one that yeah. drives uh, that drives the villain. Right. Uh, so I, I think that's interesting. I, I think I think there's there's something to that. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. I would like to see that explored a little more, maybe at some point. But I don't know. I mean, my question is what. What does J.J. Abrams do now? You know what I mean? Like, well, he's he's producing all of them, so he is like. Oh, he, I I know that, yeah. but, um, like as a as a director, as a filmmaker, yeah. What like, is he like? You know, we talked about George Lucas, how he, you know, is a much more comfortable in a producing role. Yeah. Um, you know, after he did the Star Wars stuff, um, and that does seem like a much better avenue for someone like jj abrams you know to kind of shepherd these things and that's what he does i mean it's not like that's a new thing for him he's been doing that with bad robot for you know a decade or so but sure um but yeah i mean if you look at his filmography it's you know it's fran- reboots and franchises and spielberg aping and all those kinds of things like it you know well i mean uh, i mean the answer is he does whatever he wants I know, but <laughs> no. I, I mean, that's, the, that's the, not the question. Yeah. The question is: is is he going to do anything interesting? I guess is my question. Will he? Will he do anything new? I I don't know. I don't know that he has really original ideas. And you know, I mean, uh, George Lucas. There's nothing in Star Wars that's really original, except for the way that he assembled all of the these influences. And J.J. Abrams has not done that. He has made uh, competent homages and reboots of things, but he has not, you know, assembled a bunch of disparate things into something that we haven't seen before in the way that right. George Lucas has. Or, you know, even in the way that, like, Quentin Tarantino does. Uh, Abrams hasn't done that. Right. Yeah. I, I am curious to see how he does as a producer of, of the next two films. Like if, if they do have a distinct personality or if they are, if they all feel like J.J. Abrams products or Disney products, right. uh, I, I don't have much hope for Colin Trevorrow. Uh, yeah. He did, did he do Jurassic World? Yeah, he did Jurassic World. Yeah. Well, and, and that goes to, like, this is the thing that gets me. I just rewatched, right before we started recording, I um, rewatched Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Right, which is a movie like we're we're in this we're in this world now where we're getting sequels or remakes or whatever you want to call like we're getting movies like Jurassic World um, and The Force Awakens or whatever that are so beholden to the movies that came before them like that they that they they basically and Star Trek Into Darkness they they ape major plot points in a, in a grasp at familiarity or something like that. Um, and Fury Road is, I mean, that's the blueprint for how, and that movie is so idiosyncratic and could only come from one person. Um, and it's so great. (laughs) It's so freaking great. It's so much fun. It's, 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 it, it knows what it needs to get out of its narrative. It's streamlined. It's, it's funny. It's harrowing. It's 
got a message behind it. Um, it's completely new. It is. It's, it's totally different it's, from every other Mad Max movie. It's not. It's, it's not the, a rehash. It's not a, right. a remake slash remix. It, it's totally different, and uh, that's why it's you know one of the best films of the year. Whereas you know The Force Awakens and and Creed are are very good, but they're not great. They don't. They don't reach. They don't. They don't. Yeah, they don't reach. Like they, that's the, that's their problem is they don't they don't try to grasp for anything higher than that. Like they they don't grasp to be anything more than um, extremely competent. Well, and I think I think I overstay that. I think I actually think I actually think they are kind of great, but they're not they're not Fury Road great. Fury Road is like one of the best films of the year, and and well, Creed and yeah. Force Awakens are like they're they are you know like top twenty films. I think. Uh, actually, Force Awakens. I, I updated my Letterboxd uh, top fi- or my my. You know, I just rank every movie I see that's a 2015 release. And right now, Force Awakens is literally number 20 on that list. And I have a feeling, I, you know, in in the next week, I'm finally going to see Bridge of Spies tomorrow, and I'm going to see Hateful Eight uh, on Christmas Day. I have a feeling it'll slip out of the top 20 um, by year's end. But uh, but no, it's like I have I, said, I have it at 13 right now. Wow. Okay. Um, I, like I said, I, I don't, <coughs> excuse me. I don't hate this movie. Um, I'm interested to see it again. I've been thinking about it a lot since I saw it. And I, and I think that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, it, yeah. But, like, uh, like I said, I think, I think there's a lot, I think, I think it rehashes a lot, but I think it rehashes it in interesting ways. Sometimes. Yeah. I don't need I don't need Harrison Ford saying, making an allusion to a garbage shoot. You know, um, that was kind the, of funny. yeah, it's too much. It, you know that kind of stuff. But well, anyway. I think I think we're kind of overselling how much is old and and we're not we haven't really talked much about the new characters, who yeah let, let's and do the that. vast majority of the film is is these new characters and I think and you know I think every single single one of them is great. I think Daisy Ridley is. Tremendous! I think it's one of the best performances of the year. Absolutely, I think she should be nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. She's she's an Andy contender. <laughs> well, bully for her. Yeah. Um, I absolutely. I think she is great. She's so much fun to watch. Her character is there. Her character is so clearly defined, um, yeah. and that is. Kudos, absolutely, to uh, you know Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. Abrams for writing it, um, and for, and for her portrayal of that character. I mean, one of my favorite moments in that movie is her um, on Jakku uh, with I think she's got BB or no, she's about to find BB-8. It's early in the film, and mm-hmm. she she's gotten her rations, and she's she puts on uh, an X-wing helmet, and she's just sitting there like in the in the dirt. You know, or the sand, just like eating her food or whatever. Yep. But there's so much, per- and there's no words spoken because there's no one around her. But there's so much um, imbued in her character. Um, yeah, it's in one those of the very. Moments. It's one of the very few quiet moments in the film, which which really could have used a lot more of those. It really could have. Yeah. yeah. It the, the movie it 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 moves a little too fast from yeah. from thing to thing. Um, but uh... like. Yeah, she's she's so good. She's so she's absolutely amazing. I she love, really I love her her interactions with with John Boyega as he's he's trying to rescue her and she's yeah. refusing to be rescued. Yeah. 
is she's like quit holding my hand yeah (laughs) yeah no all that stuff is really solid um absolutely and and seeing her once again it it's it's seeing capable people doing uh doing things like seeing her on the millennium falcon Mm -hmm. and just like you know flipping switch like she commands that ship and she's killing it um, yeah, and uh, Harrison Ford's playing off her is is really is really funny. Yeah, it's very very good. Yeah, um, it's very very good. And, um, uh, and yeah, John John, John, Boyega, John Boyega is really great too. I think he is. I feel like uh, he he's really strong in the first hour of this, um, and then he also kind of doesn't get too much to do in the in the final um, half of the film. Um, there's, there's not that much progression of his character besides like, we're going to go save her. And that's basically it for the end. But like, but the beginning, like we said earlier, his, um, that struggle of, or, you know, that, that him deciding to, to run away from, uh, from war and death and destruction and all these things and, and, uh, go his own way is really a fascinating thing. And, and yeah, to well, give personality a... to a stormtrooper, which is, is, um, a really interesting development as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it. There are a lot of interesting ways his character could go, and I think you know, there's this initial, there's this initial crisis that he has where he decides to leave being a stormtrooper, and then he's you know down on his pound and he's just running away, and then he meets Ray, and he decides he wants to rescue her, and he's got this programming to be a, a warrior like he's you know from he's uh, was like taken from his home and trained to be a stormtrooper because that's how they do things and so he's like been brainwashed it's the only thing he knows how to do and it, at first he wants to to run away from it and then he decides he wants to fight not for the resistance or for any cause but for her right. and it's it's a really interesting motivation because she doesn't necessarily want him doing that and she doesn't need his help, as, right. as, as been clearly stated. Like she's not a damsel in distress. Yeah. Like she, she's doing just fine on her. Like I mean, there's the one of the funnier moments in the movie is is when they're on the the Star Killer or whatever, and he's he tells Harrison Ford, he tells Han Solo, we need to go save her, and then you know, uh, right behind him, she's like scaling this mammoth wall with right. like this spear, and like she she's gonna be just fine without shit, dude. You yeah. Know? Um, but no, it's a it's a great character, um, and he, um, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah. There, it's a, there's I, like I, a really complicated psychology there that you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that could be really interesting in in the later films, and I kind of think, uh, you know, not just for like like fan reasons. I think I think that they had to kind of dispose of some of like the earlier characters and and the backstory in order to move forward with this new world and and i think that this movie does that really really well yeah uh yeah yeah um what do you think about adam driver at first i was i i thought he was like he was totally wrong like how adam driver is not a a villain but then as we get to know the character i realized just exactly how perfect he and his performance are for for that character because he's not the kind of badass that he is pretending to be he is more like a a 
an Adam Driver like posing as Darth Vader, and I right. think I think that's I think that's that's like a great twist on these kind of Star Wars characters, and I think that's where it gets like a lot of its power of of kind of the anxiety of influence thing, where where there's like this meta. Um, meta twist to the story where the the filmmakers involved in making this the star wars film have this weight of this uh the original trilogy hanging over them and there's no way that they can live up to that um, right but i mean he does the kind of petulant teenager thing that hayden christensen failed to do in attack of the clones <laughs> yes he does uh he He's also working with a better script. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. And and well, yeah, Adam yeah, yeah. Adam Driver's just a much better actor. But I mean, right. it's it, it's not just in like his like close up scenes where he like where he takes off the helmet, but it's also just in kind of the more comical things where he throws like a temper tantrum and you know slashes up a control panel on the on his ship. Well, and and you know if the if the uh, if the resistance um, knew that this is the guy that's kind of, you know, running part of the show over there. All they could have, all they needed to do to like destroy this star killer thing was just like, tell him like his dog died or something. And he would just go ballistic with a lightsaber and like blow the whole thing up himself. So, um, right. But that, that's like exactly the point is, is he, that's how he fall to the dark side is because he can't control his emotions because he has all of these like negative urges and he can't, you know, sublimate them and and use them productively and that and that's that was anakin's problem as well except it was all expressed verbally badly instead of with (laughs) with action right well um yeah i like the character too i think i think it's interesting and and obviously a thing about star wars is all about you know family and generations and 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 all those kinds of things and how do you do? How do you feel about him being a byproduct of Han Solo and Princess Leia? Do you do you see any of their characters in that character? I mean, we don't really get too many glimpses of of who he is beyond his just petulance and his kind of um, unstableness. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, not, it, not you know the original trilogy and and the prequels are all about this Anakin line of the of the the mm-hmm. lineage or whatever. And I find it interesting that. Um, obviously, while Leia is is also kin to Anakin, that it's kind of it's it's uh, well, I guess I guess we also may find out where Ray comes from a little later on as well. But um, yeah, do you have do you have a theory on that? Do you think she is uh, the offspring of one of the main characters? I I do. Um, I mean, with all of those allusions to who she's waiting for on. Uh, Jakku and all those kinds of things. Like, yeah. I, you know, it would be so narratively easy and annoying, frankly, if she was Luke's daughter, yeah. um, and and all that, all the attendant baggage that would go along with that. Um, that would be upsetting. I mean, it would be nice if she was just some random kid flung out in the middle of the you know universe um, that happened to you know. Yeah, I, I, I think I think she will end up being somebody's daughter, and I really hope she isn't. I agree completely. Yeah, I think I think I think it's much more interesting. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, one of one of the criticisms I I read 
I can't remember who said it, uh, criticism of, of uh, the prequels is the, that a lot of the decisions Lucas made in the prequels made the Star Wars world smaller instead of making it bigger, like having Anakin right. be the one who built C-3PO and right. having Ray's parents be Luke Skywalker or Han and Leia or, you know, somebody, or, you know, right. I like, I like the, I, I, I hope I'm hoping it's like a uh, wedge, She's right. wedge's daughter. <laughs> right. Uh, right. That all cool. that, all that just makes the world smaller and, and more, you know, self-contained. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, I want it to be expansive. I want, I, I want agree. a bigger world with lots of stories and lots of characters. Well, and that's why the original, the movie in particular that's that's the power in the uh, yeah well this goes two ways one that's the power about the original movie is there's so much going on in that movie mm -hmm. that is on the side that is not never explained in that story and is what makes it so rewatchable because there's so much so much going on like like it feels like in the prequels if Lucas had the the chance, he would explain where blue milk came from. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like we just see these alien technologies and we see these alien creatures and these alien worlds, and there's no ex there's no need for explanation with them. It's it's also going back to Fury Road. There's so much in Fury Road that you see in the beginning of that movie that is not explained at all. Yep. You know about, but it it all makes sense and it all works and it's all interesting. Anyway. Um, I, I remember where I read that. It was actually uh, our friend Kevin wrote a, a thing on the Scarecrow blog about the Clone Wars TV series. And uh, he mentioned that criticism of the prequels. Well, yeah, and kudos to Kevin. Kevin wrote my favorite letterbox review of all time. And it's about Return of the Jedi. Um, and he, he pinpoints the moment um, after one of the rebel forces um, is piloting. When, when the Empire... Uh, has done their sneak attack on the on the rebels as they're um, gonna go try and blow up the second Death Star, and they they appear out of hyperspace. And all of a sudden, there's just this fleet of uh, of uh, the Empire's ships, and uh, there's a rebel pilot who gets hit, and he he um, steers his ship into the control deck of one of the large Imperial star destroyers, um, killing everybody on board. Uh, as like a as like a kamikaze kind of mission or whatever, and and Kevin's review is of, of Return of the Jedi is about one little moment in that movie where Admiral Akbar, after that happens, he sits back down in his command chair, and he's either uh, he's either relieved that he sees an end to this you know conflict that's been going on for so long, or he's destroyed by the cost that this conflict has cost. And I'm just like, that is the beauty of the original Star Wars movies, is these yeah. little freaking moments that you can latch onto where Admiral, where a fucking puppet that looks like, you know, a fish just leans back in a chair and you're like, oh my god. that There's so much contained in those little moments, you know? Yeah, um, and and uh, that's like the the thing that makes those those movies really special and this one for the most part i think is kind of missing moments like that right well and that that's why the moments of daisy ridley sitting there eating slop on yeah. you know the wreckage of a you know imperial ship is those moments are the ones that s stick with me um but yeah and going back to what you were saying this is that's my fear of of this 
it's contradictory, but the fact that they're making so many Star Wars movies, um, including these spinoff things, that it's going to answer so many questions, and it's going to make that universe feel smaller. It's just inherent. Like they they want to expand the universe so that they can make more product, but answering all of these questions and showing the rebel pilots or you know the rebel the small band of rebels that you know got the plans for the Death Star at the beginning of uh, the first Star Wars movie, I don't really need to see that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, we're kind of in the first phase of this blockbuster genre cycle with these, these Marvel movies and now the star Wars movies. Um, I think, uh, eventually we're going to get the small, more idiosyncratic films within this genre. And, but I, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, but I, but I think we will like, like there was, there was a time with, with Westerns when every Western was like a big prestige Western. And then you have like Anthony Mann come along and make up like a totally different kind of Western. And then you have like little Samuel Fuller and Bud Bedecker Westerns that are just like totally insane. And then you get Sam Peckinpah and you know, we, we haven't had a, a Sam Peckinpah of superhero movies yet or a Samuel Fuller Star Wars film, but we might. Well, the these only things, difference, these things are, are cyclical and, and we could get there. We could. The only difference is, is that at least when it comes to those things is, is, you know, these are properties, you know, like, yeah. And, and you know, Fury, Fury and they're Road both owned by Disney. <laughs> well, Fury, Fury Road is the first real movie in that direction. And I think we could, given the, how much, how successful that film was, not just, uh, commercially, but but critically, I think we could be entering a time where where like true auteurs are given more free reign to make genre films in in this genre. I, I hope so. I, I hope you, I hope you're right. You know, I absolutely do hope that you're right. Um, fingers Personally, crossed. I am. I cannot wait until the Heaven's Gate of Star Wars films. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be great, um, absolutely. Yeah, I want I want like a three and a half hour Star Wars movie that you know doesn't feature any character you know, uh, and yeah, yeah, that's gonna be great. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, well, that's our you know this was supposed to be our short episode. Yeah, <laughs> this was supposed to be our brief little. Yeah, it was uh, supposed to be like twenty minutes. Our recap of uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, but uh, here we are. Uh, we've probably gone as long as the running time of that movie itself. But, um, but yeah, at the beginning of the show, you heard uh, some music from the uh, first Star Wars film. We heard the Cantina Band stuff, and there's no way to close this out without one of the greatest pieces of music ever. Oh, by the way, John Williams kills it in Force Awakens, but. Um, we're going to end it now with the joyous song sung by the Ewoks uh, at the end of Return of the Jedi um, because it's time to celebrate everybody. Uh, <laughs> Happy Life Day.